I went down to the river, jumped up. You're listening to KPCA LP Petaluma, California. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to person. Good morning, Petaluma. This is Talking with Rabbi Ted. I'm Rabbi Ted Feldman, the Rabbi of B'nai Israel Jewish Center here in Petaluma and the chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council. Welcome back for this segment of our program. Uh, Before we move into this week's guest, I want to thank uh, my friend and colleague uh, Jim Stern for filling in uh, for me. Uh, at the, uh, when was it? January 2nd that he was here. I was sitting down near Guadalajara, Mexico, listening to him on the internet, so uh, that was fun. And we're back again today, and I want to welcome to our studio for, uh, at least on this show, an encore performance, but you know this uh, radio station a lot, I guess you've been here. Elise Temple, Executive Director of Petaluma People Services. Uh, welcome back to the studio. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You are excited? I yeah. am. Yeah. yeah. When are you starting your own show? Oh, who has time for that? You. <laughs> <laughs> I have time for that. I might have too many opinions. You have too many opinions? <laughs> about. Yeah, but varying opinions on the same subject. That's right. That's, That's right. right. There's, that always a, there's always three sides to every subject. There are three sides to every story. Well, welcome back uh, to you. the studio. and. It's good to have you here today. I w- was meaning to look up how long ago it was that you were here before, but whenever it was, uh, it's great to have you back. Um, we wanted to address a couple of things today. Let's let's start out with the PCRC stuff, and then we'll move into some of the Petaluma okay. People Services thing. So we have an event coming up on January 27th. So can you talk a little bit about it and tell us? So, so this event is the kickoff of, the, of what the PCRC uh, subcommittee is putting together in a series of, of different topics that uh, this community needs to come together and talk about. And the first one is going to be affordability. And affordability crosses kind of over a lot of different uh, uh, pathways, if you will. But I think we'll, our focus is in, on how Sonoma County is dealing with making sure that it's affordable and people can live and and contribute the way they want to contribute to their community, and then how the city of Petaluma is looking at affordability and how affordability may be what most of us think as a personal issue, but for a lot of us, it's more of a uh, holistic kind of issue. And so when we think about affordability, we need to make sure that we have small businesses in this town, along with the the bigger businesses that that do um, some of the the higher tax rates. It's a crossing over of how we keep those businesses going. And it's not just businesses that sell things. It's businesses that do things or build things or create things. And so we're going to hear from Ingrid Alverity, who is the Economic Development Director from the City of Petaluma. And she's been here now probably six or seven years. And she's really changed how we bring businesses to our community and then retain them and keep them active and find employees for them and do all of that. And then she also was instrumental in rebranding the city of Petaluma with the star um, and and why a city needs to rebrand itself and why they need to draw in visitors and keep our people here. And then Oscar Chavez, who's the assistant director of human services from the Sonoma County. A lot of people don't realize how 
Sonoma County plays in and works to do work within our municipality. And so we'll talk on those things, too. And another portion of it, of course, is after their presentations, uh, we are going to encourage the people who come uh, to that program to sit in small groups and have conversations about it because uh, an engaged and informed citizenry is uh, the best antidote to some of the issues that, uh, that we face. So this is going to be on Monday night, January 27th. 6.30 at the Petaluma Library, and hope that uh, the public will join us. Mm-hmm. I, I'm reading a book right now called Why We Gather, and and I think this is another opportunity for us as our community to not al- always bring together people who think the same as us. It's important to have that opportunity to learn from others on what they're thinking about, too. Well, actually, a question came into my mind, and if you don't want to talk about it, it's okay to say, but... You know, the minimum wage just went Mm -hmm. up, and that, uh, on one hand, deals with a piece of the affordability issue because you want to pay workers to be able to afford to live here. But then the businesses have to pay higher wages, less profits, et cetera, and all the other side of it. how do you think it's going to affect the businesses? I, I didn't get a chance to read the article in today's Argus yet. There was an article about it, uh, that the businesses are, you know, prices, are particularly in, me- in restaurants, will be going up, et cetera, to help cover the wages. Well, so, so as somebody who runs a nonprofit, I think, you know, um, oftentimes our employees are the lowest paid employees and usually the highest skilled employees in, in the community. Right, and right. when I was uh, president of the Petaluma Chamber of Commerce, one of the things that we worked with was putting in place with the city a living wage. And so um, that affected anybody who had a contract with the city of Petaluma, which includes a lot of nonprofits. And so Petaluma People's Services Center has been providing a living wage, which is a little bit higher than the minimum wage that, uh, for, for multiple years. And any nonprofit um, that actually has been providing services through any kind of Sonoma County grant now is also required to have a living wage, again, higher than the the $15 an hour minimum wage. I think one of the things that people are get concerned about with those kinds of changes is that maybe they're mandating these changes and our business is not going to survive. I think it, it, it was a little bit of a shock to um, us the first year that we implemented the living wage um, because our contracts didn't uh, allow for the extra dollars. But we quickly adjusted, and I think these businesses that um, are feeling the impact right now, they're concerned about how they're going to cover those additional costs. I think what they're going to find is it will flatten out, and people will adjust to that living wage or minimum wage that now is required by the city of Petaluma. Um, I think the, the, the biggest issue that was faced was there was an implementation of the, the new rule, and then there was a hint that maybe there was going to be a phased-in process. And I think, again, communication from our elected officials and the staff that are working for them is very key in how we solve some of these issues. Yes, and I I know uh, this living wage movement and uh, the attempt in many municipalities to raise wages because of the affordability issue is, is complex. It's easy to say, yes, people deserve more, they need more in order to live in the communities 
where they're housed and where they're raising their families, but there is a ripple effect, and uh, I do believe also that in the long run it will even out, but there will be the shock value mm-hmm. of the first uh, year, certainly, of, uh, of that raised wage. Right. So that's part of what we want to be looking at uh, during our program on the 27th, and we think it's an important issue. The PCRC, the Petaluma Community Relations Council, Coordinating Committee has felt that these issues are really important, and in the future we'll be looking at uh, some of the housing issues, and etc., to try to help our community be engaged in this process with our elected leaders. So let's uh, go over, let's see, your full-time job is, uh, aside from all your little other uh, volunteer activities, is uh, with Petaluma People Services. Um, first of all, I want to, on behalf of our community and all those uh, evacuees who were aided during the uh, fires back in October, I want to thank you and your agency for helping to coordinate the volunteers and our community's response to all those having to li- leave their homes during the Kincaid fire. So thank you, thank you for all the work that was done. It made a big difference. Thank you. And, you know, we couldn't, I couldn't do it without amazing staff and amazing volunteers who really kind of roll up their sleeves and figure out how to put that together. And, you know, that project that we took on about coordinating the, the distribution site was something that came out of the first fires that we had four years ago when the community really showed up to really be involved and engaged with everybody who was um, temporarily housed here in Petaluma, but there wasn't a lot of coordination of it. And so the city came to us, and two years later, we were still working on the MOU, because, um, you know, it kept having to go through their legal, uh, when when the new city manager called on a Saturday afternoon and said, you know that MOU that we have in draft form? Can you sign it so we can get this going? Because we need you to open up the distribution side. Um, we learned a lot of lessons. We registered a lot of volunteers, and and I think w- our goal is to actually bring some of those volunteers who've registered in to do some kind of uh, emergency training so that next time we know how to phase people in and get them into the shelters and get them where they need to be and really work with those shelter coordinators so that when they are there doing the work at the shelters, that's all they have to worry about. They don't have to worry about where they're going to find the next package of, of earplugs. They can just call over and have us send it over and that type of thing. Yeah, and one thing I learned uh, volunteering and uh, being in the shelter at the Veterans Center is I would hope there would be a way to include the evacuees among the volunteers and to coordinate there because I realized that they were itching to do something. They're sitting there with nothing else to do all day. They can move things around. They can sit behind a table. They can really, and they, you know, they, while it's certainly helpful for the elderly and the sick to be served by the community, the people who are there, many of whom are able-bodied and need to be able to do something to help out too. Yeah. So I think part of this discussions about future is how to incorporate them and to organize them into a volunteer system too. Yeah, and I agree. And, and um, I think, sadly, we're going to get really good at responding to disasters. But um, I th- it, every time... We have to respond. We get a little bit more uh, efficient. We understand the needs a little bit better. And, and um, again, 
incorporating all of those who are in the shelter because they don't really have any place else to go. So, right. right. Yeah. So it, it, it would be – they can help, too, and it's a really important piece for them uh, to participate in that. And let's see, what, so what has uh, Petaluma People's Services been up to lately? Well, so, you know, we have, uh, well, as of December 31st, we had 59 programs. Um, but on, on January 31st, we will have what we're calling 60 programs. Wow. Um, in December, the board of Mentor Me came to PPSC and said that in order to to uh, establish some sustainability and to continue to provide the upstream programs that they provide with their mentoring, they needed to find a different home. And so um, in a month, minus two weeks for holidays, we have um, taken over and will start running Mentor Me as a program of Petaluma People Services Center. Wow, congratulations. Well, you know, that's always a double-edged sword. No, we're really excited to have them, and, and they've always been a great partner. And what I see is even more continuity in how we're able to take the, the mentees and make sure that their families and the, the, the kids that are getting the, the mentoring um, also get access to all of the other services that we provide at Petaluma People Services Center, whether it be counseling or access to food or housing um, programs. And so, so be able to do that. And then big picture, I also see this as an opportunity to add a different level to the mentoring program um, to build in some more intergenerational. So there may be some opportunities on Saturdays to also introduce one of our seniors or some of our seniors into a mentoring type program where it's not just the mentor and the mentee, but then there's the elder who's actually part of that team um, when they go out and do things or create arts and crafts and do those types of things. So I see it as an opportunity to actually expand the host of programs that we already provide in our community. So about a year and a half ago, the former executive director of Mentor Me, Deb Dalton, was on the program and described it a little bit. So for those who are listening who hear the word mentor and understand what it means, well, exactly what is this? Who are we mentoring and uh, what happens in this program? So the, the program was actually a brainchild of Val Richmond, who is also, I believe, um, on, on the radio often here. Um, and, and her idea was to be able to provide a caring adult outside of their parents to young people who may be struggling in school, maybe having a hard time finding friends. Um, connecting with another um, uh, a caring adult is always very important for, for the growth of us as individuals. And so they set up these mentor sites at um, a lot of the elementary schools. And now the mentor sites are also in the junior highs and the high schools. And many of the mentors who are required to take a two-year stint of being a mentor, which is spending time initially on campus with the kids, um, reading books, playing games, having conversations, maybe connecting them to resources, um, um, just being there for those kids so they do have this other adult in their life. Lots of times, um, many of our families, when we talk about economics of a, of a community, many of our families in this area, um, the parents are working two jobs sometimes three jobs, and so they're not always home to be there for their kids, and so this gives these kids an opportunity to be connected with someone else in the community, and honestly, the mentors 
almost get more out of it than the mentees as I watch and spend some time talking to the mentors. Their connection with these young people outside of their family has changed how they think about young people in our community and what their needs are and what we need to do. And it helped us at PPSC and at MentorMe identify gaps in what we are currently providing and provide additional services. So these mentors spend, spend time with these mentees and um, again, most of them are asked to do a two-year commitment. Um, almost everybody stays with their mentee as they go through junior high and high school and sometimes the JC and then even on to high school. And so those relationships are valuable. And again, it's that connection to another individual that comes from, from being, being part of something that we're going to be able to offer. And I know that uh, Mentor Me had connections and worked through the, our police department when there were juvenile issues and helped obviate some of the, quote, punishments, mm-hmm. et cetera, that might have been given to some of the children uh, by linking them up with mentors and making sure that these young people were in programs that led to a healthier view of the world and uh, reminded them that they had skills and ability to cope without having to violate some of our laws. Right, and that's where um, the the movement um, and the evolution of where MentorMe can actually uh, benefit from the services that we provide at Petaluma People Services Center. So most people don't realize that we work with youth in Sonoma County who um, for various reasons have dropped out of school, maybe have drug and alcohol issues, in trouble with the law, maybe parents at a very young age, um, may have been living in generational poverty. There's a, a list of ways that they can qualify for our youth employment program. And our youth employment program is really not just about getting them a job. It's getting them a job that's going to turn into a career and finding um, opportunities, education opportunities to get them connected and getting them wrapped around with the resources they need, whether it be our counseling programs or, again, some some mentoring um, at, a, at a different level. And we also run that program for the entire uh, county of Marin. So so our youth employment program is funded through the Workforce Investment Act, um, but it works with many of these kids that Mentor Me was already working with. And so that crossover, again, becomes seamless because many of the same individuals will be working with those same kids. So it sounds like it was, even though very quick, uh, that it was a natural place for Mentor Me to end up in our community in order to keep it alive and keep serving the families and the children that we're, we're talking about. That's right. And for me, um, I've, I've been involved now for 10 years in an initiative that is come, it comes through Sonoma County, which is called Upstream Investments. And Upstream Investments is look, looks at how we spend our dollars. And honestly, the, the best way to... to um, kind of diagram it for somebody who's not in social services is, is we can choose to spend a little bit of time and a little bit of money on a youth who may be struggling, who may drop out of school, or we can spend a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of time once they offend and are in jail. So if we can do programs upstream, we're going to actually have more impact on that person's life or that youth's life, and we're actually going to be able to save more dollars for our society by doing those that work um, early on. And so I often joke with Deb and Val and, and even Bob, who is the, the executive director for a short period of time, that um, because of Mentor Me, my youth employment programs don't are not falling, there's not 
kids everywhere in our programming because they're getting that stuff and the connection upstream. And so it saves us a lot of dollars downstream in doing the work that we do. I've always uh, argued ever since uh, I got out into the world after school that the nonprofits in our community uh, provide an amazing support system and uh, can do things much more efficiently often than our government can in providing these kinds of services that are preventative, etc. And I remember when I was in Boca Raton, Florida, the city was funding a local uh, nonprofit, and they were threatening to take funds away. And uh, I met with the mayor to, and showed him financially the impact that this would have on the city downstream if they attempted to uh, take these funds away and the implications of it. And that still holds true. And we appreciate a, uh, our citizenry here in Petaluma being supportive of the nonprofits in town, of Petaluma People Services, of Mentor Me, and all the wonderful work that's being done because it ultimately makes a big difference in our society. Right. I mean, when we talk about housing, you know, we don't do shelter work at Petaluma People Services Center. Of course, we work with COTS and we do a lot of counseling and a lot of work with their clients. But what we do do, and I've always said the city of Petaluma had the vision way before the Housing First model came into play, is we do a rental assistance program where we're actually able to keep people in their homes so that they don't fall into the shelter system where it becomes hugely expensive to actually get them back into housing. By keeping them in our, their homes, we're able to be more successful. And last year, with a, a $28,000 grant from the city of Petaluma and funds from the, the community in supporting Petaluma People Services as a whole, we kept 385 families in Petaluma in housing and actually connected them to additional services. And so when you think about how much it costs when somebody enters into the, the shelter system. It, 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 that's a day in the shelter, and we've been able to keep them. And because of that program, we've actually been able to expand and have a private donor now to support a program called Bridge the Gap. And what Bridge the Gap does is it makes a small payment on behalf of a senior living in low-income housing to their landlord or to their utility company. Um, one gentleman would not be able to stay in his affordable housing unit because they raise their rent too, just like everybody else. A lot of people think that they don't, but they raise their rent. And we pay $12 a month, and that allows him to stay in that house, to be able to go to the dentist, be able to go to the grocery store, and that's all he needs. So, so I, you know, we're on the air from 10 to 10.57. Oh. Well, no, 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 what I'm trying to say is, you have 60 programs. So if I gave you 45 seconds of program, we could have you on a net for an encore and just describe each program for 45 seconds. I would love to come back and do that. That would be a fun that little project. That would be a fun little project to come up with. <laughs> so I've, you're also involved with PDLI, mm -hmm. uh, the Petaluma Day Labor Initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's about? So the Petaluma Day Labor Initiative actually started at Petaluma People Services. Well, we started to do it initially on our own, and it was a bunch of com community concerned citizens that felt like we needed to have a day labor center because there's so many um, workers who are on the corner who may not necessarily have, have access to services. So there were a lot, of, probably three or four starts 
And then they came to Petaluma People Services Center and said, we need a little bit more backbone support. So so um, that's really just me. We're not a huge agency. That backbone support is me trying to figure out how I can can help us and Petaluma learn how to develop and grow a day labor center. And so um, we uh, have received some additional funding. We have um, in the past worked with Grayton Day Labor Center and California Human Development and have done some leadership training through a grant that we got um, through the Board of Supervisors a couple years ago. And, and we are still looking at how we can build a model without actually having a day labor center um, currently. But we're always looking for a place for a day labor center. Um, I was at, at the PCRC. I had singled out um, our two elected officials who were there to say that I got my eye on a piece of property that the city owns that I could use as a day labor center. And um, it, it, it's not just about providing um, jobs. It's about providing leadership and access to additional services. And, you know, the stories that come out of working with these guys, we meet with them once a month. We um, have them come to um, some of our meetings, but to learn and understand that most of them have lived in this community far longer than I have, and I've lived here for 26 years. And most of them have been raised their families here, and, and they are part of our community, and they are part of what make Petaluma so special. So figuring out how to give them additional services and access to um, other things that they can contribute to is really part of what we do. And um, it's it's a great pleasure to be part of that project. And, and um, hopefully, uh, maybe in 2021, I'll be in here talking about the launch of our actual day labor center that we've, we have put in place. Okay, now that would be great. So what's, what's the budget of Petaluma People's Services. What are you? We are about a three point eight million dollar okay. agency. So we're not we're not huge, but right. we're not we're not small by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and and we have always been primarily grant funded. So we have some good backbone support for our additional programs. We always need additional dollars. Um, I I just met with the area agency on aging, which funds a lot of our senior services, and and um, they require us to send a balanced budget. Well, the balanced budget that we send them shows that we can do what they want us to do, but if we really want to do what the community needs, we have to expand what we're going to do. And so we do a lot of grant funding, and then we do a lot of fundraising, too. I mean, um, I know people are always like, here comes Elise. Is she going to ask me to volunteer or donate? <laughs> so so those things are how we keep it, keep it moving. Um, we use, on an average, about 600 volunteers in all of of our programs, including our senior services and our bounty farm, and then adding Mentor Me is going to add a whole nother dynamic to it. Well, our time, believe it or not, is has come to an end. Uh, Elise Temple, I want to thank you so much for being back with us, and look forward to perhaps you being here again at some point. Happy to do it. You are listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California. We'll be back in three minutes.
Welcome back to the second segment of Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM. Welcome back to the studio. Again, I'm Rabbi Ted Feldman, the Rabbi of Yisro Jewish Center here in Petaluma and the chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council. Back here for our second segment uh, this Thursday, I want to welcome to our studio uh, Eric Vandermeer, who is the co-owner of Redwood Empire Gymnastics here in Petaluma, switching from a nonprofit organization to a sports organization. Welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here today. Um, wow. How did you get into this business? Well, where shall we, where shall we start? Well, it, it's, it starts actually where, uh, where I grew up. I didn't grow up here in, in California. Uh-huh. I was uh, born and raised in 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 Holland, ah, uh, okay. and didn't. It's a suburb of Petaluma, by the way. The entire world. That's true. Is a suburb because of this is the center. This is the center. <laughs> exactly. I grew up in Holland, uh, and I didn't um, come over to California until the two thousands. Uh, two thousands. Uh, okay. That, and I was. Um, I am educated as a physical uh, physical educator. So uh-huh. I'm a, um, I was a PE teacher. Uh, that's that's what my background is, and along with that, I kind of like slowly but surely fell in love with the sport of gymnastics. I was actually never uh, a gymnast my, myself. Hardly oh. enough. People always ask me that: Were you a real high-level athlete? Athlete? Is like not not in gymnastics. Um, but when I started my in in college, uh, and when I wanted to um, b- become a physical educator. Um, I didn't know much about the sport, and I had to introduce myself real quickly um, into the sport, and that's where I thought, wow, this is interesting. Um, And that's where it all started. What was interesting about it? It was a sport that I was not good at. Uh I was, as a kid, I did a little bit of everything. I was a soccer player, because everybody in Holland plays soccer. Um, uh, I played a little bit of uh, racket sports. I did some swimming. And then at the time I was applying for the College of Physical Education, I had to show up and had uh, to show all those different sports to, to, to get into college. And gymnastics was on that list. And I had to show my cartwheel and my uh, front flip. And I was like, I, I cannot do that. So I went to the, the local gymnastics club in, 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 in Holland, and I, and I walked up to the gymnastics instructor and said, like, I need to learn a cartwheel, and I, I, I need to learn that in the next two weeks because, and the coach looked at me and was like, are you serious? Because that takes a little longer. Um, and I realized this is, this is intriguing. I, it didn't come easy to me, uh, but I thought it was intriguing, and I fell in love with the challenge that the sport has. And uh, knowing at that point that I was in my 17, 18 year old, like, well, there's no, it's a little late to start a career in gymnastics as an athlete. And I switched over right away, started teaching at that point right away. Yeah. So um, I got into the College of Physical Education. I'm over there at the Redwood Empire Gymnastics. I need to see you do your cartwheel. Exactly. 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 I will show you that, I promise. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that's where it started. That's where it started. Yeah, back in my home country. Yeah, yeah. And when you came here and you started, uh, 
How did you? Is this the first gymnastics place that you've been involved in? No, I, um, at that point when I uh, when I came here, I was always already had a career as a gymnastics coach in Holland. I was a PE teacher and a gymnastics okay. coach at the same time. So, um, decided to come this and and I realized that it was a little bit easier here to have a professional career as a gymnastics coach than it was back in my home country. Mm. Um, that was an important factor. So, so that triggered me. It's like, wait a minute, I can actually uh, be a gymnastics coach for, for, for a living. Um, started here and there. Um, got myself a job in the city, in San Francisco. Uh, a couple of years into it, uh, we had the opportunity to, to start our own club over there, San Francisco Gymnastics, which we still have. And in 2009, we had uh, the opportunity to um, take over Redwood Empire Gymnastics from Steve Klaus, who retired at that point. So, yeah, so that's, yeah, Steve Klaus, of course, uh, was a member of Benazza Jewish Centers. So I've known him and I see him when I work out occasionally. And uh, he still stops by the gym every, every now and then. Yeah, it's very, and, uh, very fun. He still appreciates retirement, though. Yeah, he also good for him. That. Good that's for him. Good. That's good. So, what do you think there is about gymnastics that makes it so appealing to the families and to the children? What is there about it? I, um, it's it's a sport. It's a sport of all ages. Uh-huh. Uh, not everybody thinks that way, but it is a sport of all ages. And we show that in our program. We have uh, little one-year-olds, and we have classes for adults and everything in between. Uh, we have classes for kids who really need it because they need a little bit of help in their motor development. Um, we have classes for kids that like it, and we have classes for kids that really love it and are passionate about it. So we can cater to all those different levels and age group. And if you look at it from a more educational point of view, I, I see myself still as a, as a um, I don't uh, see myself more as a gymnastics educator than a gymnastics coach. Okay. And if you approach it that gymnastics is just a, a, a way to grow as a, a kid, um, I think that's my bigger passion. Uh, as as a as, as a coach or an educator, and I think families realize and recognize that when they step through our doors. If one um, empirically walked in, uh, as I do, mm-hmm. and to, to disclose that my daughter is uh, uh, goes to Red Empire Gymnastics, um, one could surmise that this seems to be a girls' sport. Correct. Right. That the yeah. majority, certainly the majority. Yeah. Um, any comments on that, number one? And number two, is there a difference in the physical growth of these of the children that make it easier for the girls? Are the boys talented in different ways? What's, what would you distinguish there? I know that's not politically correct. Right. Uh, in the yeah. world, to say yeah. one gender does something better right. than another gender. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting because um, if, if you look at the numbers, yes. There are simply more girls involved in the sport um, uh, as there are boys. Is there really a reason for it? 
No. We, ha- we, we have our boys' classes, and uh, if, if, if you look at the higher end, kind of like in a, on a competitive side, um, it looks like there's less interest in it. But we don't notice it here in Petaluma. There, there are quite a lot of boys. We have quite a few boys' classes. We have a competitive boys' team, uh, and it is it is mostly how you uh, similar with the girls how how you look at it, what the emphasis is. Um, so there's not really a reason for it. I think mostly, I mean, what's the reason why a lot of boys play American football? I think it's mostly marketing and tradition, not necessarily um, because girls would not be able to play football. Right. So I said I was I was going to ask earlier why uh, you, know, you would mention you started out with soccer and uh, yeah. those European sports. And yeah. I was about to ask why do you think that soccer never quite makes it to the top of the heap of sports here in this country? Um, it's, Thank you for asking because I follow that very closely. Uh-huh. I think it's that is changing, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's it's. I think it's mostly marketing, uh-huh. uh, and among some other details it, uh, about this, uh, how they do their season. But if you look at the, uh, if you look at the uh, national uh, women's team soccer here in this country, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. If you look at that, I was very happy with with the last uh, cycle of the. Uh, of the world championships because my home country, Holland, played the final uh-huh. against the U.S. Uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Women's Soccer World Cup. So I was very happy with that. But I think it's mostly tradition and marketing that steers the direction of that. So uh, gymnastics, when, when the American teams are doing well at the Olympics... You find reg- you think registration increases in gymnastics? Interesting. Um, not th- th- uh, that used to be that way a little bit. It's a little bit more equal nowadays. Mm. Um, there, there used to be um, uh, uh, when the American teams did really well in gymnastics, you saw a spike in our enrollment, and that is still a little bit the case, but less than it used to be, I would say. And I think, once again, that it has to do with how we approach it. We approach gymnastics as an educational athletic experience uh, where our customers see that we have um, a value that goes beyond uh, medals only. Does that make sense? Um, So we're less vulnerable to those spikes and dips, Mm -hmm. less vulnerable. How do you how do you handle uh, and how do you instruct your coaches to uh, handle the children's disappointments in in their physical ability yeah. and what they're doing? Yeah, it, it's it's an, um, in a sp- in every sport where uh, that is competitive and when there's a uh, when there's a podium and then where's the first, second, and third place, it's it's an important educational. Uh, experience. I um, the way we do that is is to make sure they understand that it's fun to win a medal, but it's not the end of the world if you don't. Um, make sure you respect your your your, your fellow 
competitors and to focus very much on your in individual progress. Does that make sense? So the, if, if, if your performance on the competitive floor was better than last time, that's great. If you showed in your competition what you normally show in practice, if you're happy with that, then you should be happy whether it's at a fourth place, a first place, or a last place. So we focus a lot on, on individual progress in individual goal setting so the athletes know where they're at before they enter a competition. And um, we are very much uh, try to create an environment where winning is not everything. And how is it for you handling the families when I was... When I was in Little League as a child, mm -hmm. the hardest part, it seemed to me, as I got older uh, in Little League, was the parents right. and not the my peers right. out on the baseball field. I mean, we w I witnessed fistfights among yeah. the dads because yeah. one kid got to pitch 20 seconds more than another, yeah. all that kind of stuff. What's it like in the gymnastics world? Is it the same kind of thing? And I know you have to be you know, careful about how you right. say it. But what would you request of the parents that, that would help you uh, to obviate some of those issues that right. come up with, uh, in helping with parents? Well, what, we are tr what we're trying to do is uh, to explain to our uh, similar approach. Uh, look at your kid as an individual and wh what are the individual goals coach. We are very fortunate in, in, in at San Francisco Gymnastics and in Redwood Empire Gymnastics that we are very experienced coaches. Uh, that been with us and in the sport for many years. Um, so I was, I'm proud to say that I can say that my coaches know what they're doing. Um, and when it comes to parents and their, because from a parental point of view, you want your kid to do well, right? And uh, very often uh, a medal equals success. And we're trying to educate. That's not necessarily the case, right? You, you, you can end up in the first place and still be disappointed because, hey, uh, you could have done better. Or the other way around. You, you will not have a medal, um, but he or she did actually really well based on the progress you, he or she made uh, of, the, of the last competition. And that's an educational progress as well. So we're trying to educate the parents and the athletes um, kind of like simultaneously. Yeah, I, you know, as a parent, I think sometimes, or, or actually thinking back to the fights that I witnessed as right. a child, it wasn't just, it was about fairness, too. Right. Um, you know, uh, the coach didn't, was it nice, or the, to my child, right. or the, the players, or the, you know, uh, I mean, I had that in the synagogue one time, and I know you may not be familiar, but we have a ritual called Bar and Bat Mitzvah, mm -hmm. and I was do I had a, a joint Bar and Bat Mitzvah ceremony, and we were rehearsing, and one parent came up to me with a stopwatch and said, the other child was up there 22 seconds yeah. longer. Yeah. And I'm going, and I'm all, I'm just, in, I'm still in school when I'm yeah. doing this. Uh, what do I do now? What do I do now with right. 22 seconds, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a piece of fairness, I think, yeah. too, as well as accomplishment and, and stuff Exactly. Like that. And the, the, what we're trying to, to explain to the parents that we always, we always have the best interest of your 
athlete in mind. And sometimes that's simply to hold back a little bit. Sometimes that's not necessarily more is better. Sometimes is is staying in a particular level for another year is simply better for your child. Um, and and that is that's not always easy to to explain. Right. That's not always easy to explain because if you compare it to school, right? You you you. You, you go to first grade, next year you go to second grade, and then you go to third grade, and there's a natural uh, progression in an educa- in that educational system. In sports in general, or in, in particular in, in gymnastics, that's not always the case. Sometimes you do one particular level two years in a row, and that's very common. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's not always easy to explain, but we're, we do our best. So I, I'm noticing as my daughter gets older that she's She's there more hours per week. Yes. How do kids balance that? It seems to me that at some point, homework and schoolwork and life itself, whatever. Right. Yeah. What's What's that like? How How do the family? I, I have no idea. I, I think if somebody said some of their children go 15 hours a week. Yeah. It, it uh, and when it goes gradually. Yes. Right. So we don't start with 15 uh, or yeah, with yeah. 15 or 20 hours a week. Um. And but but it is we do realize it's a balancing act uh-huh. for families. It's uh, that's always what we say when you when you commit to a competitive team. It's, it's a family decision, uh, especially when you're not uh, when you have multiple uh, children in the family, uh, and uh, the other kid plays soccer, and that kid plays uh, gym, uh, does gymnastics, and yeah. and the third one is doing music, and you're like, oh, how are we gonna handle this? So it's a juggling act, and we realize that. Um, the I think the most important part for us is that, that we have structures. There's always the same days, the same time. Um, uh, the, the, it, the more they grow into it and they get an invitation, we always have meetings with parents and say, this is what it means. If you move up, these, these are the consequences and these are the choices that you're... Um, and then the other thing, that the way how we approach it, we always... Our philosophy when it comes to gymnastics and competitive sports, the way I say it, gymnastics is the most important thing of the unimportant things in life. Family is always more important. School is always more important. So when there are conflicts arises, arise, and you need to balance out whether or not you're going to your grandpa's 80th birthday or you go to a workout. I was like, that's not really a conflict. You go to grandpa's 80th birthday. And as as soon as you explain it like that, um, because we think it's important. We we think uh, those family traditions are important. We think a school dance is important. Uh, especially when they're in their teenage years, and they need to balance out. And we're trying to, instead of regulate that heavily, which happens a lot in competitive sports, we try to work with the families. What's important to you? This is important for us as a competitive team. These are the kind of like what we really need. And then see if we can find a healthy balance for uh, for the family. So here's a... Uh, in some ways, a way out question, but you're stuck on the radio, so you're going to have to right. either tell me you don't want to answer it right. or not. 
which is so with gymnastics and other competitive sports, that sets up a world in which everybody is in competition with each other Correct. in one way. Yeah. In many ways, a capitalist economy, I'm not advocating communism or anything like yeah. that, but a capitalist economy does the same thing. Yeah. Success is defined by how much money you make, etc., etc. Yeah. And that separates people and uh, leads to, in some ways, part of the unkindness that we I won't even, I'm not even talking right. about politics right. now and things like that, yeah. but it, it leads to this separation. Right. And how in sports do, is there a way to overcome some of that? Because it, it does set that, that kind of world up. I'm yeah. better than you are, yeah. or, you know, or Correct. he's better, I, you know, and yeah. it makes the kid feel badly, yeah. then acts out in different ways. Yeah. What, what yeah. do you think? Our, our, our slogan when it comes to competing is you're competing with your competitors. You're not competing against them. Uh-huh. Uh, within your own team, that's a little bit easier because you're in workouts right. kind of like many hours a week and, and you can install that, you can grow that mindset uh, but we very heavily try to grow that mindset on a comp- competition floor as well. Wh- while you are preparing for your uh, for, for your competitive routine and you're warming up, you're with another club and we always make sure that you realize you're competing with them. Make sure you give them high fives, make sure you handshake them if you end up fourth place and you're standing right next to the podium, make sure you give high fives to the person who wins. Right? It's okay. It's okay. It's fun to win. It's okay not to win. Right? And that's. Um, I think it's important. I think it's an important skill set for kids to go through to not to win or even flat out fail. And to be okay with that. And that means that I learned something and we're going to do something different. Right. I wish that message could carry out uh, in our world today where, where unkindness yeah. is the uh, theme of the day. Is the new norm. Is yeah. the new norm. Yeah. It really is important for our children to learn uh, some of the things that yeah. you're expressing. Yeah. It's some things you're expressing. I guess one of the questions I was going to ask, how do you thought both gymnastics and other sports affected people as they get into their adulthood? What do you think happens with that? Um, I, uh, we, always, we always say it out loud. We, and, and that circles back to the beginning of our conversations where I, I, I say we are a gymnastics education uh, program. Uh, I, I take it very dearly. One of the, one of the way how, how I define success is that if my gymnasts are grow up and are done with the sports themselves and they are fortunate enough to to raise a family and their own kids at a certain point tell them, hey mom, hey dad, I would love to do gymnastics. What do you do as a former athlete in that sport? Does that bring a, a smile on your face? Like, oh, I'm so excited about that because I used to be a gymnast and I loved it. And I loved it. Let's go and find a club for you. And I know exactly the place to be because I grew up at Redwood Empire Gymnastics. Let's go there. That's my definition of success. That everybody retires from, the, from a sport at a certain point, right? 
But if you are able to look back and say, I had so much fun doing this, and I would, I would sign my own kids up for a gymnastics class in a heartbeat, that's my definition, definition of success. If my former athletes that were with me, with us in our program all the way up to their senior year in high school and now are in college, if they come back for the holidays and the first thing they do is they stop by in the gym and they come and say hi and do their rounds and give all their coaches high fives um, because they want to see us again, that's an important part of my success. So how many people do you have, uh, children, adults, engaged in your programs? We're about seven and a half, seven and a half hundred, uh-huh. uh, eight hundred. It fluctuates a little, kind of like where you are in the season. Yeah. Um, here in Petaluma and then similar in, in San Francisco. That's a lot of people to keep track of. That's a lot of people to keep track of. I'm not going to lie. That's a lot of people to keep yeah. track of. Yeah. 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 And is the facility you're using uh, sufficient for you at this stage? Or? Yeah, yeah. It, um, with all what we do, we um, once again we have our, uh, our our baby classes, we have our adult classes. Once a week, I teach a, a special need class, which is very dear to my heart. Um, from that to the to the passionate and talented. Um, we are very fortunate that we c- that we can all offer that in one facility. I call it a one-stop shop okay. for families. Yeah, so um, we're going to be finishing up in a short time. Are there any other ideas or thoughts you have you wanted to share with our listeners about what you do and how you do it and all uh, of that? I, I, I'm just very uh, fortunate that I can be part of the Petaluma community and that we're able to reach out to to so many members and to so many different age groups and to so many different uh, levels of families that are very excited about the sport of gymnastics and that we can be part part of that growing process. Well, I want to thank you for being part of this radio program today and sharing the philosophy. Actually, uh, both from the point of view of this radio show and for myself as a parent, I'm really happy to have had this conversation and to... Uh, learn about the depth of your commitment, the commitment of the staff uh, to the children, but also to give a different, a little different view of sports. I, I like that notion of education versus coaching and just exactly. that part. And thank you very much. You are listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted at KPCALP, Petaluma, California. We'll see you next time. Something wrong.